0: you to bless this time as we look at your word, show us what you want us to see from this section, and we just thank you for your love, your care, that you love us so much that you have good plans for us and desire to do what is best for us, and we just thank you in Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Jeremiah chapter 18, starting at verse 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, which as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I, cannot I do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel." At what instance I shall speak concerning the nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it? If the nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instance I shall speak concerning a nation concerning a kingdom to plant a build or to plant it? If it do evil in my sight that it obey not my voice, then I will repent to the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. Now, therefore, go and speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return you now, every one of you, from his evil ways and make your ways and your doings good. And they said, it is no, There is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices and we will, every one, do the imagination of his evil heart. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, ask you now among the heathen, who has heard such thing? The virgin Israel has done a very horrible thing. Will a man leave the snow of Lebanon, which comes down from the rock of the field, or shall the cold flowing waters that come from another place be forsaken? Because my people have forgotten me, they. They have burned incense to vanity. They have caused them to stumble in their ways from their ancient past to walk in paths in a way not cast up. To make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing, everyone that passes thereby shall be astonished and wag his head. I will scatter them as the east wind before the enemy. I will show them the back and not the face in the day of their calamity. So here we have a word from God and it's kind of an interesting way that he gives it. He tells Jeremiah, Go to the potter's house. All right? And that's not the denomination Potter's house. This is the guy that makes pottery. So he goes out and follows God. And God normally would just tell him, Do such and such, or here's your word. But in this case he's going to give him an object lesson. And object lessons are very good. If you've never seen or thought about an object lesson, that's where somebody will show something to you. And then make a spiritual application out of it. And this is what God's going to do with Jeremiah. He's going to take and put him in some place. He's going to go watch this natural thing. And then I'm going to teach you a spiritual truth from this. Jesus did it quite often with the parables. He told a natural story and then gave a uh, spiritual lesson on this. So he goes to the potter's house. And that's where God says he's going to talk to. And he says, he went down and behold... The he the potter wrought a work on the wheels. Now I don't know if anybody's ever watched somebody do pottery, or you know we've maybe seen it on TV where they run their hands up and this little lump of clay becomes a huge tall vase or a big cup or a bowl or whatever they're wanting to make. Um, and it's kind of fun to watch them do it. Lynn was into pottery for went for a while, and she got she would go to the wheel and and get these things standing up and everything, and then. Something would go wrong and she'd crush the whole thing down and start all over again. All right. And this is what he's saying. He watched the potter create an item on the wheel. And the verse four says, And the vessel he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. It started falling down, it had a crack. We don't it doesn't tell us how it was marred. But again, if you've watched them, sometimes a crack will form as it's spinning around, sometimes the potter will put too much pressure on it and end up with a deeper indentation than they want, or no, or a completely closed off indentation if they put way too much on. Uh, they might make it too thin. So the potter somehow ended up with a piece of clay with an imperfection in it. And what he did is he just crushed it down and he made another vessel. All right, put a little more water on it and made another vessel. And so this is what you would see if, you go to a, and watch somebody with a potter's wheel spinning you know, spinning their clay. Um, I would not try it. I tried it one time when I crushed the clay completely and it never made anything that even looked close to a, to a bowl or anything else. It looked like a lump of lopsided clay. Uh, but the potter gets to make something. And then he says he made another vessel as seemed good to the potter. So what he's saying is the potter does what he wants with the clay. All right, And this is going to be the spiritual point that God's, God's going to make. Just as the potter does what he wants, God says, you are mine. And this is something we're really going to try to understand because how many people will tell God, I don't want to go through what you want me to do. I don't want to be who you want me to be. I want to be who I want to be. And that would be from this picture, the clay jumping off the wheel and saying, "I'm going to go do my own thing. I'll form myself. You just leave me alone." And we as human beings tend to do that to God a lot. God, I don't like. I don't want to be a bowl. I wanted to be a cup, or I don't want to be a cup. I wanted to be a vase. I don't want. To, I want to be a pitcher. And God says, "You're going to be what I make you to be." It sounds like Satan. Well, Satan did the same thing. He didn't want to be in his position. And then he brought that same attitude to man when he brought them into, did God really say, and they ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, saying, we don't like the place you put us, God, we want a different place. And we as human beings do this all the time, even when we're saved, we tend to do, God, I don't want what you're wanting me to do. And God says, but I'm the potter, you're going to stay and be what I want you to be. And so. And then we get the application in verse 5. It says, the word of the Lord came to him saying, verse 6, O house of Israel, can I, I do with you as this potter, says the Lord. Behold, the clay is in the potter's hand, and you are in my hand, O Israel. It says, I can do with you as I wish. And think about what has God already done to Israel. They've, Abraham was told, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. He gets up with one son. That one son says, "I'm going to make." Your God says, "I'm going to make a great nation out of you." He gets two sons. You know, pretty good. Twice as many as his dad. <laughs> the next one is Jacob, and he gets 12 sons. So he comes closer to having a great nation. And and then what happens to them? They get rescued from a famine by going to e- Egypt, and then they get put into slavery. All because that was God's plan for them. Yeah, and you sometimes think, God, what are you doing in my life? And I would say let's look at the scripture. Let's look at the mighty people of God and what did God put them in as they moved as they moved around and they did things. Israel in slavery for 3 generations in Egypt. They were delivered. Moses, the man of God, Who loved God and was leading the people had this really wonderful people they obeyed everything that he said and never complained once and of course you know the story that that is not true they complained every time they had an opportunity and they kept saying we need to go back to Egypt it's miserable out here why why did you ever bring us out here Uh, more than one occasion they wanted to stone Moses for for his leadership and Moses could have been saying God what in the world are you doing uh, this is not what I signed up for. I did not sign up for people to be rebellious and want to kill me all the time. All right? We see this over and over again. We see Jeremiah himself. He preaches the word of God. And what do they do to him? They throw him in, throw him in prison. They throw him in the dungeon. They throw him in the system. They beat him. Toward the end of the day, he's threatened that even if shows his face in the palace one more time, they're going to kill him. Uh, and that was his lot. And God says, this is what you are formed for. Yeah. How do we react when things don't go the way we think we want them to go? And this is very important for us. We are in God's hands. Well, usually just as much of a fit with, as, as all, the other Christian, uh, all the other characters in the Bible do, too. You know, we get upset, stomp our feet. <laughs> it's hard to stomp your feet when you're on the spinning wheel, but, <laughs> but we sit there complaining, God, I don't want to be this. I want to be that. Uh, God, It hurts. Now take this the next step. He doesn't really go into this, but what, what happens after they get that clay bowl or pot or pitcher done? They stick it in the fire <laughs> so that it gets hard and then they glaze it. Uh, you know, and, and they didn't get into this. God was just saying, I form you the way I want you to be formed. But we take this the next step and then you put it in the glazing fire where it gets hard and, and, and complete. Once it goes there it can't be remade without being totally crushed and pulverized and, and put down with water. But God is saying, I have a plan for you. You're going to be what I want you to be. And then, by the way, I'm going to put you in the fire to perfect this and make it, make it permanent. And we go, God, no, this hurts. God, I don't want this. And we try to jump out of the fire. I'd hate to be in a pottery shop where the pottery keeps jumping around and doing what it wants. And yet we try to do this with God all the time. God, I didn't want to be a bowl. I didn't want to be a plate. I want to be that beautiful pitcher that I're going to use in, uh, to pour water into the sink. I don't want to be the chamber pot. <laughs> and God says, "You're going to be what I make you to be." And this is what he says to Israel. He says, "I am the potter. I can do with you." whatever I want. And this is the beautiful picture of God's sovereignty. God is going to have his way in the long run. All right, we may gripe and complain and make it more difficult, but in the end, we're gonna do just what he knew he was going to have us do. Now that's hard for us to understand. Because we talk all the time about we have a free will. We can make a choice for God or against God. We can do things. And yet God keeps saying, I am sovereign. In Proverbs, he says, I turned the heart of the king whatever way I want it to go. And we're going, God, then why are some of these kings so vicious and evil? Well, God's bringing judgment upon his people in many cases or a nation. And we need to understand that God sees things totally different than we do. We look at the immediate, what's happening right now. God, I'm hurting. It is in pain. Sharon had them dig that cancer out today. It was very painful, but why? So that she would not get worse. All right. So why does God do what he does? He is trying to correct us and perfect us for the future. And sometimes that hurts. If you've ever broken a bone and they have to kind of pull it back into place before they set it. And you're going, no, that hurts. Don't do that. And they go, we have to do this because we need to get that bone properly set. You know, they get ready to get a, get a diseased tissue out of you. It, it hurts. And this is what God's saying. He goes, I am the master. I will do what I please. Now, he doesn't say it here, but in the long run, he, in other places, he says, but I'm doing it for your good. Everything I'm doing to you is for what will be good for you. And we're looking at it in the short term saying, God, this hurts. Don't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, God, quit stretching my muscles. If you've ever tried to build muscles, what you, the way you build muscles is you exercise, tear the muscles, they heal and get bigger and, and get repaired. And then you go back out and a couple days later, you tear those muscles again and they get, you know, and they get healed and, get, and they start getting stronger and bigger. And if you don't recognize what's happening, you're going, why do I want this much pain? Well, if you want the end results, you go through the pain. When I used to play sports, we'd sit there and practice all week long, learning how to do something so that we might do it right in the game and, and have a chance to win. And this is what ends up happening, discipline over time, looking at a goal down the future. None of us like what God does to us at the time that it's happening. But if we're focused that God knows what he's doing, makes it a whole lot easier. And this is what he's telling the children of Israel. I am the potter, I'm going to do with you as I wish. Now remember the people he's talking to are worshiping other gods, they want nothing to do with God, they're not going to to the temple to offer sacrifices, they're not praying. And God is telling them, you know what, I don't care what you're doing, you're still mine. And God says this to the world as well. You know, he has his people, the Christian people, and he'll discipline us harder than he does the world. But the world still faces discipline for disobedience. Now they can harden their heart and not acknowledge it. They will oftentimes say, why, is, why are all these bad things happening to me? Well, it might be because you deserve it. Uh, that's not necessarily the answer that I would give them directly because uh, that's not going to help them come to God. But isn't that really what happens is when we are facing trials from God, it is usually because we deserve it. Unless we're in a Job situation and God is trying to teach us something. But the world, God doesn't teach the world stuff because he's trying to get their attention and saying, you need to stop doing what you're doing. And if we all remember before we got saved, there were things we were doing that were not giving us what we wanted and leading us down the wrong path. And when we finally turned to God, it's like, wow, where Oh, that's where I was headed, that great big pit down the road that I was headed toward. And this is what God says, I've got a plan. Israel, he called his people, and he says, I am not going to let you continue down this. You are in my hand. And the sovereign God speaks to them. Verse 7 says, at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up and to pull it down and to destroy it? So he goes, at any moment, I can tell a nation I'm going to destroy it. And if we look at history, there have been many nations that have come and gone. I will pick Babylon. Babylon was used by God to bring judgment upon the, northern king, the southern kingdom that Jeremiah is talking to. But then God told him, because you were so vicious toward my people, you were going to face judgment. And in two, three generations, they were gone. They came and they went that fast. Why? God told him, because you were overly harsh on my people, I choose to bring you down. We look at the Greek empire. It came and it went. It came and went faster than a lot most kingdoms. Alexander the Great built the kingdom up and then it dropped. You know, It split up between four different generals after Alexander died and very shortly thereafter was gone. God has raised his kingdoms up and he brings them down Assyria came up and was gone uh, we've seen this over and over again America has been a leading nation in the in the world for you know quite a few years now and we are on the downside dwindling away and bring basically God's going to bring judgment on this country because of the sin of this country and we're seeing it all around the world he's bringing judgment and ultimately, we have the seven years of tribulation where he brings great judgment on the nations because the Antichrist is ruling, the church has been taken out, and he says, now we pour my wrath on the, on the world. The world we're experiencing now is not even judgment. Oh, we're not, we're not really experiencing judgment. I would say we might be experiencing some discipline. We're experiencing the warning signs of judgment. And we look in the scriptures, all the time when God would come, he would send natural disasters, national problems, uh, different problems with the people, trying to get their attention. And that wasn't the judgment that they faced. That was just God getting their attention. And what are we facing in America? Natural disasters, big hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, famines, droughts. Uh, We're starting to see invasion on our south border we're seeing threats around the world to our sovereignty why because we're rejecting god and god's trying to shake us up and say will you turn to me and we're having trouble yeah we're having, having trouble with that but part of the trouble is most of the church will not say that god is trying to is sending us judgments to get our attention And I know because I've talked to pastors. I go, are you willing to say, "Uh uh-uh, I'd never say that these are judgments from God. I'm going, why? The Bible's replete with judgments from God with exactly what we're going through. And so because the churches won't declare repent, the nation will have a hard time repenting. And we need to be able to understand our nation needs to repent. It's the only way that we can have a revival hit this nation is for repentance and that repentance needs to start in the churches that have denied Jesus. And even the churches that haven't denied him need to repent, we all need to repent. Because in Second Chronicles it says, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and call upon the Lord, he says, then I will hear, all right? And so we need to be able to repent as a nation. And it is sad when you look at the history of our nation, which is being rewritten, most of the people that are going to school today do not know the history of our nation and how it was founded on Christianity and all the documents were based on Bible verses and, and freedom that, God, that they said, God gave us freedom, we're gonna give freedom to everybody else. And all these things that they did because they go, this is what God says. And they built it upon his word and you read the original constitutions of the states. you read the Mayflower Compact, it was all missionary-oriented stuff. The original founders of this country came not to rape and pillage the land and take it over, they came to evangelize the Indian people and to build a church. That's why they came. Now, very quickly thereafter, people came that didn't have good motives, but the original ones wanted to reach out and evangelize this country and it's very quickly turned around and away and we're looking at God saying you're in my hands what am I going to do with you he formed us into this great vessel what is he going to do with us at this point is he going to just say okay that's it you know now we're going to make you something much less or throw it out completely we don't know but we're seeing this judgment, and he says, if I choose to judge a nation, he goes, that's my prerogative. And note in here, he says, at what instance I speak concerning a nation or concerning a to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it. He doesn't say that they deserved it even. He just says, I choose to do it. All right? We need to understand that God does what he wants. And that's hard for most people to understand because they're going, God, I don't, you know, we, we've all said it ourselves, and if we, if we haven't, we've heard it. God, I don't deserve all this happening to me. Well, we do anyway, but that's beside the point. <laughs> but God is saying, I have the right to do what I want to my creation. And this is what, you know, I, I had a friend who used to build ship models, and then he'd, he'd put uh, firecrackers in them and put them on the, on the pond and blow them up. I'm going, why are you doing that? You, work, you worked for, for a month putting this thing together. He goes, I just like blowing them up. I go, but you put them together. He goes, I just want to blow them up. I'm going, okay. Go, but a point on that. God can do what he wants with us. If he wants to make us a ship and put us out on the water and blow us up, that's what he can do. If he wants to make us an airplane and then nosedive that airplane right into the ground. That's what he can do. It's his creation. And we see this world and how man is destroyed, destroying this world through sin and God still says, I will do what I want with my creation. And he will bring people to turn to him or turn away from him and say, this is what is going to happen. And this is what he's telling the nation of Israel. Uh, and verse Satan says, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent to that evil that I thought to do unto them if they repent. And what is repentance? To confess that what you have done is wrong and turn away from it and turn to God. Now I've had many people who say well what I've been doing is wrong and they keep doing what they're doing wrong. That's not repentance. All right. Usually that's I got caught doing wrong so I'm gonna tell you I did wrong and and then keep doing what I want to do anyway. And but God says repentance is to turn away from what you're doing and to confess that it is wrong. And confession is in, the, in the Greek is homologeo, to say the same thing as. God calls it sin, what we need to call it, it's sin. I've had a lot of people, well God, I made some mistakes by doing this. No, that is not confessing. God says it is sin. <laughs> It wasn't a mistake. It was a mistake on one side of it, but it is not. Calling it a mistake is calling it much less than what God says it is. And we need to be able to understand that God says it is a sin. It is wrong. And then we can repent and say, God, I am sorry I did this. Help me not do it again. And the most important thing about repenting is to turn away from our sin and turn toward God. Get into God. The more we're in God, And in relationship with God, the less we're going to be tempted to sin. It's very hard to sin when you're on the mountaintop with God. When everything's going good and you're following God and you're worshiping God, it's very hard at that moment to sin. But that's also one of our most dangerous spots because sometimes we let go of our guard and Satan gets right in and says, you're so close to God, you can do what you want. And at that point, you're not close to God. You're listening to the wrong voice. So we wanna be careful as we do this, but repentance. God says, if you repent, he'll relent. And this is where our country is right now. We are on the cusp and the cycle goes, a nation falls from grace, starts sinning and sinning. God starts bringing judgment. And at that point, there's one of two ways they can go. They can repent and God restores them back into their state of grace. Or they reject God and turn away from Him and they bring judgment to the point of sometimes not being a nation. This also happens with us as people. When we sin, God will bring judgment, discipline into our life and we have a choice. God I'm going to repent or He brings a lot of destruction and devastation into our life. All of us have probably been in both directions in our lifetime. I know that I have. There's times when I've been very stubborn and not listened and God brought more and more judgment. And there's times when I've been soft-hearted and, and responded and God pulled the judgments away. I have learned that I like being soft-hearted and, and turned to God. It's a lot easier. It doesn't hurt as much that we let him do what he wants, but he says, if I decide to do this and they repent, then I will relent. And conversely, he goes in verse 10, uh, verse 9, at what instance shall I speak concerning a nation and concerning the kingdom to build and to plant it? If they do evil in my sight and it and it not obey my voice, then I will repent of the good wherein I said I would benefit them. So God says, I've given you blessings. I've, I've got great plans for you. This was his plan for Israel. I've got great plans for you. David, if your children obey my obey my laws and, and your children obey my laws, then you'll have a king sitting on your throne. Israel, if you obey my laws, then you will be a nation forever. And what do they do? They disobey God at every turn and they get judged of the Northern kingdom and get sent into captivity with Babylon, Assyria. Uh, Southern Kingdom gets sent into captivity by Babylon. God brings them back after 70 years and they form a new nation again. And then they start misbehaving again and they go into captivity under Rome. And now they're back as a nation again. What's gonna happen? Well, I think this time that when they disobey, they will be accepting the, the Antichrist as their leader and they will be facing judgment again for rejecting God. So all of these things go, God says, even when I have a blessing for you, if you do evil instead of the good that I had planned, then I will pull back my benefit. All the benefits that God gave, gives countries. Israel right now in the Middle East has so much water in their little tiny country that they ship off water to the rest of the, rest of the neighbors. They have so much oil that they are able to sustain themselves and ship it out. They have so much food being produced in their nation that they can ship it out all over uh, Europe and the Middle East. Where was America when we first started? We had all the supplies we needed, all the stuff that we needed. and We still do if we would use it. But we had all of the minerals we needed, and we were being blessed, and we were sending missionaries out to the whole world, and God was blessing us. Now what's happening? Judgment's falling. We're looking at the possibility of hyperinflation coming our way. We're looking at recession coming our way. We're looking at you know, famines because of the droughts and the, and the pestilences and the sicknesses that are coming our way. Why? Because God had good planned for us and we have rejected him. And that rejection brings judgment. And this is what Jeremiah is telling, Israel is coming your way, judgment's coming your way. And God brings this to all people that reject him. Verse nine says, then said, I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my, how about if I get to the right verse? (laughs) I just jumped a whole bunch of chapters. I'm at the, this one, verse 11. Now, therefore, go, speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return you now, everyone, from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. So God has just set two plans in front of him. I'm bringing judgment or good. And now what does he tell him? Uh, Israel, you're in that first group. I am planning evil on you. And this is going to be a big deal for them because now he's just told them that evil needs to be repented of. And he says, God says, I have framed evil against you and devised a device, device, a device against you. And device means evil, evil plans, evil imaginations. And God says, I have put together an evil frame. A frame is pretty sturdy. All right, he says, I have put together a sturdy framework of evil against you, and I have devised devices of evil against you. Now, when God makes plans of evil against you, you've got a problem. And their answer on this, he goes, and we, and he says, and make your ways and your doings good. In other words, repent, turn from what you are doing. Now, the kind of interesting thing is God knows that they're not going to repent. But he's telling them, if you will only repent, I will change my mind. And God will tell us this over and over again, even in our own lives. Repent and the blessings will come. Many times we look and we're doing things that are wrong. We know they're wrong. And then we wonder why God isn't blessing us. God, you know, I'm doing these good things over here. And God says, yeah, but these bad things over here are not what I want you to do. I'm not blessing you while you're doing these evil things. And we as Christians sometimes go, well, God, we're not under the law, we're under grace. And God says, I understand that, but there's still consequences for disobedience. You know, we're not saved by our obedience. We're not sent to hell because of our disobedience. But God says there are consequences for disobedience and we need to understand when God tells us something is wrong we need to go back and change our ways and say God I agree with you it is wrong I'm gonna follow you and this is something all of us need to work on in some area of our life where we go God I'm not ready to give up this issue now sometimes these issues may not even be that bad when God was asking me to give up watching uh, 12 hours of football a week it's nothing necessarily sinful in that. But I'm going, no, God, I don't want to. I like my football. And he's kept going, but you can spend more time with me. And eventually, it made sense to me to give up 12 hours of football to be spend more time with God. Now, today, it would be even worse. I've got football on Thursday night as well. It'd be 15 hours worth of football if I was still into football. And that's just pro. And that's not even trying to watch the college games. <laughs> yeah, but here we have God saying, what? Are you going to do? Are you going to follow me? And sometimes God will challenge us with areas of our life that may not be seeming to be that bad, even, and God says, I don't want you doing that area. And we have to then say, God, I am willing to give up what I want for you. And this is going to be something that's very important. He's telling the children of Israel, repent. I'm have bad things in store for you and Jeremiah has already been telling them over and over again you're going into captivity they know the bad thing and still they will not repent why won't they repent because if you look in the history of it in various places they're going hey things are going good we've got crops out there but crops are we're harvesting crops we're making money hand over fist you know what is this Jeremiah what are you talking about God judging us stuff for you know look at all the good things that are happening to us what was happening in America very, until very recently, people were making hands over money hand over fist, everything was going good, they could get a home, they could buy a home, they could have all the fuel they want, and the judgments have started to dwindle those, those, those numbers. And how far will we go? How long will it take the people to repent? Unfortunately, I'm afraid our country's not going to repent because Israel did not repent and their great judgment was brought upon it. Verse 13 says, therefore, oops, and verse 12, it says, they said, there is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices and we will everyone do the imagination of his evil heart. God, we're going to do what we want. There is no hope. You're letting all these bad things happen to us because you're letting these bad things happen to us. They're just going to continue happening because you're letting them happen. So we just give up and we're going to do what we want to do. Yeah, you know, and this is the funny thing the more God tries to shake up people with judgments Some people will listen, but the majority of people just say There's no hope it just keeps getting worse Look what God is allowing to happen and because he's allowing it to happen when we will do what we want to do and we're going to give up a good It makes a great excuse for people, it. but it's true is what it is. It's only an excuse It's just getting bad. Look at all that God's letting happen. I'm just going to continue doing bad because it's only going to keep getting worse. Well, with that attitude that you keep doing bad, yes, it's only going to keep getting worse. And that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm going to keep doing bad, and it's only going to keep getting worse. And yes, you are right. If you had repented, God would have repented and brought good blessings upon you. And I have seen this happen in my life at times when I've fought and fought and fought and finally gave up and... It's amazing to me how fast God will turn things around when you truly surrender to him. We fight, we fight, we fight. It looks like it's the end of the world coming. And we finally repent. And everything turns around in, in, a, in, a, in almost an instant. You know, it's a little fast, a little longer than that. But things turn around quickly. That's so what's happened to me all my life when I f- finally give up and surrender to God. All that darkness that was piled up against me almost instantly disappears. It's like the cloud coming out from, you know, coming out from in front of the, the sun. And all of a sudden the sun's bright shining and everything's good. And God kept that cloud there for a long time when you were not walking with him. We need to understand this is what God's telling them. And they're saying, hey, we don't we don't believe this. We, things are going from bad to worse. We're just going to keep you know, we're going to keep doing what we want to do. Because nothing is going to ever get better. Verse 13 says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, ask you now among the heathen who hath heard such things. The virgin of Israel has done a very horrible thing. And this is where I'm saying, you know, do any of these other nations turn against their gods? Now their gods are evil, so it's a little easier to stay, stay following them. But his point is they obey their God. You have a God. You are my you are my bride. You are my virgin bride, and you are not doing what I ask you to do. He goes, go to these other nations. Aren't they obeying their their gods? You know, who's ever heard of them disobeying their gods? Now, their gods were kind of working towards the sin nature anyway. You're you're following Baal and Astra Astoroth, you know. Astaroth, you, you went to sexual orgies, which is what people just wanted to do anyway. That was, that was an easy worship. Uh, Baal says just give up everything and, and work, 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 work. And those who are workaholics have done that same thing. They give up, they're willing to give up everything. And believe me, I know. And I, and I would have told you I was doing it for all the right reasons to take care of my family, but I never saw my family that I was supposedly working for uh, and taking care of them. So it kind of a self for you know uh, self-defeating, and God is saying, "Look to these other ask these other nations, do they reject their gods?" And it says, "You Israel, have rejected me." Now they had a problem, of course, they were into the the laws of God, well, they weren't at this point, but they knew the Ten Commandments they, they were aware of the Ten Commandments at least and they may not have been read, read, aware of the other six hundred and thirteen laws. But they were aware of the Ten Commandments. They knew what God wanted them to do. But, you know, the problem is, with the law of God, how many of us look at it as restrictions against what we can't do rather than boundaries saying, don't go beyond this point because this is what's good for you. And we need to be able to understand that God's laws are not heavy burdens upon us. He says, I don't want you to cross this line and end up in trouble. All right? Uh, and the problem that we have as Christians and the world, most people want to play around with how close to sin can I get before I fall over the cliff. You know, what should our attitude be is, well, God, you said don't do that. Let me stay way away from the cliff rather than dancing on the edge and wondering why I fall in. And I hear it all the time when I was dealing with teenagers. Well, how close can you get to, to playing around with the opposite sex before you've committed fornication? Why would you want to even get that close? <laughs> don't do it at all. Don't, don't tempt yourself. You know, uh, how close can I get to lying before I've lied? That's a big thing a lot of people like to do, especially salesmen. They like to, they, they'll tell you they're stretching the truth. <laughs> uh, yeah, they've stretched the truth into a broken, broken truth in most cases. But many people will say, well, I didn't quite say what they thought I said, I just didn't deny it. Well, that's a sin. And we need to be very careful because there's two different types of sin. There's sins of omission and sins of commission. Sins of commission are the things that we do. The things of omission are the things we don't do. When God says we're to love one another as Christ loves the church, and we don't love one another, we are committing a sin of omission, all right? If we don't help our fellow neighbor when we had it in our power to, then we are committing a sin of omission. We're not doing what we are told to do. And those sins of omission are probably the biggest ones that Christians tend to do. God, well, I didn't really go out and hurt them. And God says, yeah, but I wanted you to love and help them. Oh, well, you know, God, that would have meant I had to spend time with them. I would have had to spend money and energy on them. (laughs) And God says, yes, that's exactly what I wanted you to do. Verse 14. Will a man leave the snow in Lebanon, which comes from the rock of the field? Or shall the cold flowing water that comes from another place be forsaken? In other words, he's talking to people that are used to the desert. Are you going to abandon the nice, cool water, the, the snowy place to go back to the hot desert? Now, some of us kind of like the hot desert. It's not, I'm not one of them. I like Four Seasons. Uh, and God has a great sense of humor. He keeps putting me in warm places. He's, he's put me in Guam, Hawaii, you know, Central California, Georgia, here in Arizona. And I would love to be in Minnesota, Michigan, uh, North Dakota. Some place with Four Seasons would be wonderful. I wouldn't even mind going to Alaska. with, you know, But God says, I've got other plans for you. But he's saying to them, do people leave the refreshment to go into trials and hardships? And his answer basically is no. (laughs) They would not do so. They would enjoy the cool, refreshing water. Uh, And this is something that, for us desert rats, cool water is anything that's, what, 80, 80, 90 degrees, (laughs) Uh, compared to the 110 outside. (laughs) But here he's in, he's saying, Do you leave these refreshing things behind? Now, are you going to leave the mountaintop with a nice cool weather to go down back into the valley? And for me, it's kind of interesting because I'll get in my car at Golden Valley at the prison, it'll be 110. I get up here, and it'll be you know, 89, 90 degrees. And it feels almost cold after coming you know, that, quick, that quick a change. So we look at this and God is saying, are you going to do that? And then he goes, verse 15, because my people have forgotten me. They have forgotten. They have ignored me. They do not listen to me. This has got to be something hard to look and say, this is my bride. These are my people. I've given them my rules. I've given them every, I've given them blessings. And they have forgotten they have forgotten me. Sometimes if you have a prodigal child, it's like they have forgotten you. They don't want to have any communication with you. They just want to go their own way. And it hurts to watch them just disappear out of your life for a while. And knowing that they're not going the right way and seeking God. So the people so the people chose the king and, and they followed the king, but they do not always follow God. They, they turned away from God as their king, correct. Right. And then the kings oftentimes led them astray into, into further sin. But that was where their heart was anyway. Right. So if they, if they, if they, if they walked away from God, then they walked, they walked away from God. Yeah. But even before they asked for a king during the period of judges, they kept walking away from God during that period of time too. Over and over, they did what was right in their own eyes and forgot God. And then God would have to bring judgment upon them. he gave them the thing the thing that God does oftentimes and I don't understand why he does it but he gives enough people enough rope to hang themselves that's really what he's doing you want a king you're not you know maybe you, you think you're going to be obedient to a king you can't be obedient to me as your king and you think you're going to be obedient to an earthly king and you think that king is going to be obedient to me all right let me give you what you think you want And the scriptures tell us, be careful what you ask for because you might just get it. All right, over and over, it doesn't say it quite that way, but there's plenty of verses that say, be careful because you might just get what you've been asking for. And we see this over and over again that sometimes we get what we thought we wanted and find out it really wasn't the blessing that I thought it was going to be. God, I really thought I wanted this very nice car, but boy, it's sure expensive to, to maintain. Maybe I wanted that old vehicle that anybody could fix instead of this vehicle that nobody can fix and I have to go to a special shop. You know, I really wanted this house, but all of a sudden we find out that having a house means a lot of expensive repairs. God, I really wanted this person in my life and find out that they're a devil in disguise and leading us the wrong way every time we turn around. We need to be very careful and to make sure that we focus on God and saying God I want what you want me to have and that's not my prayer most of the time I kind of do what I want a lot of times and then go okay I got what I wanted uh, God this really wasn't what I thought it was going to be I've done that in some some of my moves in my lifetime I thought I was making a great move and it just about destroyed my family you know because of because of the move and I'm going God that was a terrible move to make then I almost didn't come to Arizona when I, even though I knew God wanted me to go there because I didn't want to come to Arizona. I was a computer programmer out of there. Why do I want to go to number 48 in technology state in the Union at the time? It's like, God, there's no work out there for a programmer. And yet God said, you're going to be there. You know, very often what God wants does not make sense to us until after we do it. And oftentimes what makes sense to us is not going to be good in the long run. And we need to just be quiet and listen to God. Now, sometimes we're in the same place where what looks good to me is what God wants, but that's not been the norm in my life. My sinful nature wants what's going to be best for me, and what's best for me by my sinful nature is what's gonna cause me the least pain. And God says, no, I want you to have to have this pain so that you will grow. And you know we hate pain, but you know think about all the times you've gone through a hard hardship, and look at how it's helped you in the future as you go forward. You know we look at trees; trees get stronger by high winds blowing them around a little bit, and they build they build uh, strength in their in their in the fibers of the tree. And God says, I need you need some wind in your life. You need some suffering in your life so that you will grow stronger. Now, we don't like to have suffering and pain and stuff. God tells us all the time he's going to bring hardship. You know, those who are in Christ Jesus will suffer tribulation, Jesus said. And we're going, I don't want tribulation. You know, Jesus told us we were going to have it, so why are we surprised when bad things happen? Mostly because too many people are, teach us that when you come, become a Christian, nothing but good happens to you. Now where that doctrine comes from, I don't know. There are a lot of places where God says he's gonna bless us and everything, but nowhere does he say nothing but good is gonna come our way. Over and over again, he says bad things will happen. No, and you, and you look at any, any biblical hero you look at, how did they become a hero? They went through something hard and got successful. You know, look at Daniel. How did Daniel become the hero of the faith? Well, first off, he asked for time to pray to get get Nebuchadnezzar's dream interpreted for him. Then he prayed when it was against the law to pray, and he got thrown into the lion's den. Moses, going through all the hardships that he did, helped build him and make him stronger as he went along jonah god i'm not going to go to those ninevites i don't i want them to be destroyed i'm not going to go anywhere near them and god says okay let's get you let's get you where you're supposed to be and virtually forced him to go there gave gave him a nice submarine in the in the belly of a great fish and brought him back and spit him out and uh said now are you ready you know after he repented and he ended up going to nineveh you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not bowing before the idol. You know, take your pick of any of these great leaders and see what did they go through for God to bless them and strengthen them. And then we turn around and say, God, I just want the victory without the trial. Just, just let me win without going on the ball field. <laughs> and, and this is something that we need to be very careful of. God says, if you're going to be victorious, you have to go into the battle. And if we're not in the battle, we won't be victorious. You're not victorious sitting on the sideline. Or even worse, I'm in the stadium. Now, God, I'm going to watch the game down there. I'm not even going to be on the field. I'm not even going to be ready to get on the field. I'm just going to sit here in the stadium. Oh, by the way, God, I'm going to sit on my couch and eat, eat snacks and watch it on TV. You know, I'm not even going to bother going to the stadium. <laughs> And God, I expect you to bless me for being victorious. And God's saying, uh-uh, you weren't down on the field. You weren't, you weren't even on the sideline. You weren't in the game. We need to be in the game to be victorious. And this is God telling the people, you, know, you need to be out there because I have got this going on. You would not get rid of this. go to verse 15 says, because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to vanity they have, and they have caused them to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths to walk in paths in a way not cast up. They have burnt incense to vanity, emptiness. What is the emptiness? Idols. They are burning incense to idols. And remember we looked at it earlier in in Jeremiah and in Second Chronicles where it said that there were altars on every street corner to everybody but God and they were out there burning incense offering offering offerings to all these idols and God says you want me to bless you you want to be forgiven when you are dealing with vanity emptiness so the- for us we don't usually in America especially have idols theoretically <laughs> But we all have idols that we worship. People worshiping other stuff, they burn a lot of incense. For Americans, we have our stuff that we worship. Many people in, in the developed world are worshiping their TV where they spend hours and hours and hours every day watching TV and not not focusing on God. You know, and I've seen this happen. It used to happen to me. I'd come home, I'm tired, I'll, I'll just watch one show. I'll just watch news. And I watch it until the 11 o'clock news and go and I guess it's time to go to bed now. And what did I do? Absolutely nothing. It had become an idol in many, in many ways. Now I don't watch it at all because I do still have this habit. If I turn it on, I'm probably gonna watch it. Can an idol? Um, it could be. If you feel like you're being justified in your anger and and not willing to face the fact that it's probably leading you to say and do things that you shouldn't do or say. Anything that is not focused on God directly can be an idol. Now that doesn't mean we can't watch some TV. It doesn't mean we can't go and have our hobby. But if it becomes all inclusive in our life. And that's all we spend our time doing. Then we've, we've created an idol and i do know people that have made anger their idol i'm just an angry person it's my irish my irish blood that's why i'm angry it's my you know whatever other blood you know it, you know it's, it makes me angry i just can't help myself yes at that point you're saying i have an idol i have not put it in submission to god i am exalting it into a status of being equal or above god ultimately it's going to be between you and god if god says it's a problem then you need to be giving it up if you're not willing to give it up It's stepped up into an idol. So, and I'm not saying this wrong. When I say God took me away from football, I'm not telling everybody they need to give up on football. I was told by God to give up on football because I was spending way too much time and not spending time in the word on the weekends when I had time to be spending time in the word. So God says, I want you to give this up. What has God told you? And this is where liberty comes in what God tells me I can or can't do is not what you're bound to do and what God tells you you can or can't do is not what binds me. You listen to God. But I do know it's easy to make all of these things a God. If I put it to where it is not in subjection to God and his will, it's become a God. Well, let's put it in the same frame of somebody who has made it a God. They can't get to their TV on a particular day or night for their favorite shows, and they're going to be depressed and angry that they did not get to watch their favorite show. Uh, Their TV, you know, the the station went down and the antenna went down, the station went down, and they get upset. It's probably been turned into a god. If they're that tied into that particular event, then they've got a little too much going on with it. You're, You're depressed because your favorite sports team didn't win a game you might be elevating that sports team just a little too high because what is the importance of a sports team not winning? As far as I'm concerned, zero. Go to work at the prison with some people that they are upset if their team does not win a game. This is what I'm saying. I mean, if you can give it, give it up and not care about it, it's probably not a God. If it bothers you to lose it or not have time or not be able to afford doing it, you might want to analyze and say, is this now a God in my life? And you want to be very careful with that. He says, and they have caused to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths and walking paths in a way not cast up. He says, you've left the path that I have established. God says, I gave you my, my provisions. I gave you my rules. Now you're following these other gods and you are not doing walking in my ways. And this is so easy to do because God's ways are not easy to walk in in the first place. He tells us that his ways are narrow and straight, which means tight and compressed. To get through it, I mean, if you've ever done spelunking or cave exploring, sometimes you get to a spot in the cave where you can barely get through. You have to flatten your body against the rocks and you get through and to be able to see what's on the other side, which can be a beautiful cavern or something. But you go through this very narrow spot and god says my ways are narrow and when we get to that spot we're like uh god this is too narrow i'm turning around i'm not going through i'm not going to do this this is too hard and god says the rewards on the other side keep going keep moving forward and it says verse 16 to make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing everyone that passes thereby shall be astonished and wag his head I will scatter them as the east wind before their enemy. I will show them the back and not the face in the day of their calamity." So God is saying, as they turn away from me, they walk down the wrong path, that he is going to destroy their land. And that is exactly what happened to Israel. When God took them out of the land, he stopped it from flowing with milk and honey. Nobody wanted to be there, it became desolate. When the Jews were taken out by the Romans, the, the Palestine became a swamp. Nobody wanted to live in that area of Israel until the Jews in 1948 bought all the land, even though it was given to them. They bought it, they drained the swamps, and God started blessing them. And then all of a sudden, the Arabs, who had been laughing their heads off at the high prices they got for their, their land, wanted the land back. And what do they say? They stole it from us. They have bills of sale for most of the land that they that they were given by the by the uh, U.N. And yet they're accused of stealing the land. And God is saying, I'm going to make it. when you turn away from me, I'm going to make the land desolate. And Israel has been desolate many times when they're not following God. Right now, God has brought them back. He's given them great blessings And the problem is they're not worshiping God. They're not following after him as a nation at this moment. Some of them are. There are enough Orthodox Jews there that they're trying to worship God. And they're waiting for the the temple. And he says, I will scatter them as the east wind before the enemy. This is going to happen very shortly. They're going to be scattered. Nebuchadnezzar conquers them. And he takes all the children of Israel out of their land and scatters them all across the Babylonian Empire. They're scattered from Egypt all the way to India, all the way up through the the Asia Minor, and he scatters them everywhere. Just as God said, I will scatter you. And then his last statement was, "And and I will show them the back, his back. He's turned away from them, and he says, you shall not see my face. And the blessing of the high priest was, may God's face shine upon you and there's much more to it but he goes God looks upon you and shines on you and Jeremiah is saying you have gone so far that God is turning around you will not see his face his face does not shine on you anymore you are seeing his back and one of the greatest insults anybody can give to you and during that period of time was you stand up and they turn their back to you and say you're not even worth looking at and this is what Jeremiah is saying God is turning his back he is so fed up with you that he is not even going to look at you we don't seem to do that very much we but we still have the same thing when somebody says they're they're shunning somebody they're not talking to them they're not paying attention to them we don't literally turn our back in our world but we just ignore them and it can go so bad if they really really want to ignore them they act like they're not in the room. They, don't, they pretend they don't see you. They don't hear you if they go to the extreme of this. And this is what Jeremiah is saying. God has done to you. He's turned his back from you. He is not willing to acknowledge who you are. You're his children. And he's not acknowledging you. This is a pretty serious event that they're, they're saying. And this is Jeremiah saying, you've gone so far that God has turned his back he's not even looking at you and because you did not repent you would not repent God turned his back and now once his back is turned then Nebuchadnezzar comes in conquers him takes him around takes him away you know and we all we all understand that this is figurative God never has his back turned he's never in a place where he doesn't see people but Jeremiah is saying he's turning his focus away from you yeah. Yes, he understands, yes, he knows what's going on, but he's saying he's turning his focus away from you and letting the evil that you deserve come upon you. And sometimes he does that to us. If we keep rejecting him, keep rejecting him, he says, fine, I've just turned my back on you. When you're ready to repent and turn him back, I will, I will pay attention to you. But until then, things are gonna happen to you and you're gonna think it's because I'm not paying attention. He goes, and I'm not. Yeah. Yes, he is because he rules everything. But you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes he says, "I'm just not paying attention. Things are going to happen to you. I'm not going to stop all the stuff that could have happened to you." And this is mostly what his blessings are. You know, we think his blessings are going to be give me wealth and property. Sometimes his blessing is simply not letting all the bad that we deserve come our way. And that's hard to understand as a blessing. Well, that could be true, too. That's a blessing. And, and we may never know that that blessing happened. But, you know, and sometimes it's just that simple. God says, okay, here's your blessing. You've done this, this, and this, but I am not going to let you suffer the consequences for those, those items because I am going to bless you. And we have this tendency to say, God, I want blessings. I want a million dollars in the bank. I want a big house. I want a nice car. I want to live on easy street, God. And God says, no, that's not a blessing. Matter of fact, that for most people would be a curse because we would turn away from God if we got it. And so God says, nope, that would not be a blessing for you, so I'm not giving it to you. I'm gonna give you places where you need to trust in me and seek after me. And this is very important. How much are we going to seek him? How much are we going to go after him and truly receive blessings? And most of us will never get rich because God knows he can't trust us with riches. Now if we could be trusted with riches, guess what would happen? You'd have riches. If you would have the riches and turn around and give God you know, 10, 20, 30% of those riches and live on a, on a smaller amount, you would end up being blessed out of your socks. J.C. Penney, the, the founder of Caterpillar, the, the uh, Sears and Roebuck, both, all those individuals gave to God 90% and they were millionaires. Why? Because God knew that they were just going to plow that money right back into the kingdom of God. So he says, okay, you're you're going to honor me? Here, have lots and lots of money. But money can also be a curse if you want to hold on to your money. You know, if you listen to these guys who have lots of money that don't know God, all they ever talk about is how can I keep my money? I'm afraid to lose my money. The stock market's turned, uh, this investment went sour, this happened, that happened. I'm going to go bankrupt and, in my, and my life will be miserable. They're always worried about losing their God. And we don't want to be in that place. Our God must be God with all of our focus on him. And then he can give us great blessings. He can give us physical blessings. He can give us money and wealth if we would use it correctly and build him up. So this is where he's at with the people. He says, I've turned my back on you because you are doing what you want to do. Our nation is facing that very thing. God is turning his back on our nation. And I think it's so sad that we used to send out more missionaries than any other country in the world, and now we're receiving more missionaries than any other country in the world. And we think of ourselves as a good place to to be. And we're getting missionaries all the time coming into America so that they can teach us what God says about grace and mercy because we are so far away from God as a nation. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at, your, look at what you have. Lord, teach us to seek you in all that we do. Help us to get rid of the gods in our life and always focus on you in, in great truth and f- following you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen listening friend do you know where you'll go after you die without the gift of Jesus it will be an eternity in hell without God good works will not get you there for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast to spend eternity with God we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ for all of sin and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord to be assured eternal life We simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask Him for His free gift. You must mean the words to to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked Him for eternal life, He has come into you, and He will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.